Hey everybody, welcome back to the Journey of Life podcast. Uh, this episode will kind of wrap up a little bit with uh, a few more things regarding autism and then I'll kind of transition into um, things about the baby and you know the you know baby being b- born premature and kind of the whole situation with that as well today. Um, hope everyone's hanging in there with during this uh, winter. You know I'm. <laughs> I'll be happy when we can get to some uh, warmer spring weather here. Hopefully in the upcoming months. I just had uh, Botox injections for the first time yesterday. Uh, they put some of the Botox in my calf muscles um, with the goal being to hopefully reduce some of the tightness I have when I walk in those areas. So hopefully it will help um, with the walking a little bit. So we'll kind of see how that goes in the upcoming weeks here. I'll keep you guys posted on that as well. I also, um, <laughs> with the last episode, I wanted to try to, you know, use some music, try to spice it up a little bit, whatever. <laughs> um, that being said, I kind of liked the music at the beginning, but the I did realize the music was playing faintly throughout the entire last episode, so... Hopefully that wasn't too distracting. I'm I'm not gonna have that going on this time. I'm still trying to play around with different editing tools and utilizing different apps. Um, a few of them you have to pay a monthly subscription to, and I'd rather not. So I'm just trying to see what I can do from an editing standpoint. Um, but anyway, just uh, we'll we'll keep the music just as little interlude at the beginning. <laughs> for the time being now. Um, so, yeah, go, you know, I pretty much, you know, with autism, I, you know, covered a lot last time. You know, like I said, it's pervasive developmental, dis, you know, disorder. You know, there's, it's a spectrum, you know, best people, many of you, I'm sure, know people can range from having very mild autism, you know, till pretty severe nonverbal and and there's everything in between and you know, no two people are really the same because some people have certain parts of the brain more developed than other areas and may have more language or you know, you know, have more or less like emotional outburst, um, you know, it, it really it varies so much and it's 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 fascinating from the standpoint that just just to see how what parts of the brain are affected and you know what what that area you know does and seeing it being underdeveloped or not developed well at all like seeing what kind of deficits you may see i mean from a physiologic standpoint um you know i mean like the as I've, you know, I'm kind of alluded to, but I mean, the brain is just absolutely just mind-boggling, fascinating phenomenon in every sense, and just so delicate, and, you know, one little change or something will affect the whole neuron network and just alters everything completely, and, you know, 
it's just crazy to think about. Excuse, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, I also wanted to bring up, I know last time I kind of, I had some statistics pulled up for autism and I, it was being kind of a pain in the butt and I couldn't get, go from my podcast to other screen, other part of my phone and then it like froze up on me. So I just wanted to quickly throw out some of the statistics. I have them up now on the CDC website. Just to put things in perspective for you, um, this goes back to, I believe, 2000, the year 2000, birth year. Okay, so birth years around 1992, surveillance year around 2000. Basically, you know, that would be the closest, you know, time around when my brother was born in um, 93. Uh, the chances of having autism at that point were one in one, one and in one fifty. So I mean, going from that, and then you know I'm just gonna scroll up here a little bit, looking at like 2010. You know it it dropped down significantly. It was one in sixty eight. So that's pretty crazy. And now. If we go, this goes up to 2020, and this is the number I had said last time, Um, it's 1 in 36. So, I mean, essentially cutting in half, you know, doubling, you know, your chances of getting or being diagnosed with this condition. And I mean, that is... That's a staggering change, and you know, like I had said last episode, I mean, this, <laughs> the whole you know reason for the increased prevalence, those sorts of things, that could be a whole episode in itself because there's so much speculation and theories, and you know, as to why that's happening or why it's just continues to increase so much. But I guess one to put that in perspective for you guys, just. You know, it's the prevalence is, I mean, is crazy. And I will say I'm I'm so thankful, you know, in the 90s, you know, autism was, you know, not nearly as well known. And, you know, people didn't understand what it was. You know, it just was just so much, you know, just lack of knowledge base and now I mean you see you know April's the whole autism awareness month and you I mean you just see so much more of it out out there and the awareness factor and you know screening for it early because the earlier you can catch it the better you know you know if you do some early really early intervention I mean you can be the brain being so plastic and moldable at such a young age you might be able to really go from somebody that could have had would have had severe autism to you know changing the brain chemistry around and being able they you know and really improving them significantly if you can catch it early enough in those first couple of years of life where your brain's just so you know moldable and adaptable and that's such a you know quick transient time period but I like like I said I'm very thankful that you know as a society as a whole I think 
you know, a lot, many, many more people know what autism is, at least aware of it and understand it a lot better. And, and people know that, you know, a lot of these individuals, I mean, they, you know, they have a lot of amazing strengths in their own way. And just, I know, for example, my brother, I mean, his, his visual, his like visual memory is just, I mean, it's supernatural. I mean, he'll remember, you know, a store or like a restaurant we stopped at 15 years ago on the way to the beach or something because he'll want to stop there again or he'll kind of, you know, he'll say that. And, um, yeah, I mean, his his visual memory with things is just, I mean, it's it's uncanny. It's just supernatural, I, I feel so. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much that they can do and contribute in this world. And and I'm just glad that, you know, there's so much more awareness out there. Um, and then, you know, that being said, too, I, I talked a lot last time and I wanted to make sure I brought up, you know, for all the things with autism, you know, I certainly, like I had said, it really shaped me you know, into kind of being, you know, feeling like I needed to be an adult very early in my life and kind of skipping out on, you know, a lot of the more, you know, traditional developmental things you do growing up, you know, as a teenager. And, you know, I I really restricted myself and, you know, made myself be serious and, you know, take on the role of caring for my brother and, you know, being, you know, you know, just so supportive and all that. Um, and yes, that's certainly, you know, like I said, there was good and bad about that. Um, but I wanted to make sure I brought up just, you know, when you, and again, people listening that on here right now that have a sibling with a disability, I mean, I'd love to hear from from you and your remarks remarks regarding this. Um, but there are so many positives that, you know, I've, I've taken away from it. I, you know, my love, I would say things like patience, you know, em- empathy, compassion, um, respect. I mean, I've grown up with, you know, a sibling with special needs. I mean that that stuff just gets ingrained in you, and and, and it it is you. So, I you know I feel like I have a you know those attrib- those positive attributes I have have really you know you stem from a lot of things. You know my upbringing, my family in general. But I mean just. You know, having a brother, you know, with a disability, you know, it it makes you, you know, puts things in perspective. I mean, you, you know, you see things, you know, that, you know, other people may not see or, you know, and it, it puts things in perspective and makes you, you know, stronger for it from a standpoint of being, you know, able to have that level of empathy and understanding and, you know, seeing differences in people and then, and just realizing that's, that's totally okay. You know, I, uh, you know, I feel like those of all those things, you know, have definitely, 
those strengths that I have, you know, you know, and then people that know me personally, you know, I, I, I know I'm very easy to talk to and I, you know, I do care, you know, I, I'm not the type of person that's just like, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, and, and then I, you know, just don't want to get into anything like personal, just, you know, just have generic conversation. Like I'm, I'm always happy to have a true, you know, conversation with people and really listen to them and just, you know, I've, and I feel like those are the sorts of things that I've developed over the years, you know, just, just in general, it's who I am. But again, you know, having a sibling disability, I think that's just kind of further strengthened that whole bond and that whole, all those, all those personality traits that, you know, I feel like I am very strong in, you know, even, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm still a physical therapist. I'm not currently practicing in a clinic, unfortunately, but I felt like I had a huge advantage just being able to kind of utilize those blue or soft skills, so to speak, where just sitting down and talking to people, like, I mean, sure, you know, you, you, you obviously you have to know some knowledge from like a, you know, academic textbook standpoint of, you know, what you're treating, you know, what, what you're looking for, differential diagnosis, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, when it really comes down to it, it's just, you know, this psychological piece that being able to develop a good rapport with people, you know, and being able to relate and be friendly and let, you know, help people or allow people to, you know, or for them to see you as being a patient, respectful individual and truly listening to them and, you know, feel, you know, having that connection. I feel like that's what strengthens and, you know, that patient, the therapist-client relationship so much so. And I think that's, as I've said to people in the past, I think that's the most important piece of not just being a physical therapist, but really anything. So just being able to, you know, talk to people and, you know, just because you have a lot of knowledge, but, you know, that's great. But if you can't relate to people or, you know, that that is such an important component that I feel that everyone, you know, that's something everyone needs to strive for as that is just so critical of a piece. And, you know, I feel like my brothers helped me to really, truly help me to develop that at an early age. And now I feel, you know, that's one of my biggest areas of strength. Whenever, you know, I was in interviews, people would be like, oh, what are some of your strengths? And I would I would say things like, you know, patience, understanding, empathy, compassion. And, you know, I feel like a lot, of, you know, a lot of that's just was so strengthened by the experience experiences I had with my brother and, you know, taking care of him and, you know, learning from him. And so I just wanted to make sure I emphasize that on this on this episode as well, because I didn't want to. I was concerned. I, I not that it sounded negative, but my last episode, you know, I kind of focused more on, you know, the things that certainly kind of. You know, it affected me from a psychological standpoint, you know, but I didn't want to make it sound like it was all negative. I mean, there was 
like us like I've been saying, just so many positives as well. I mean, and again, anyone listening to this that you know has personal experiences along these lines, I mean, I love to hear from you. You, you tell me, you know, tell me how you know your sibling or your close personal friends or whatever like is. If you know if they've had a disability, you know have a disability and how that shaped you. I mean, I think it's important to you know have have the ability to communicate with other people about that because I feel like that was always something I didn't I didn't have that as much. I didn't and other than just my talking to my youngest brother, uh, you know about everything. I mean, it was really hard to find or you know being able to like communicate or you know with other people regarding that because, I mean, they, they're not living it. And they just, I mean, they and they, you know, and they certainly understand to a degree, but there's only so much, you know, you can understand with without being in the situation. So that being said, you know, I will certainly will be circling back to all these other topics, you know, autism, you know, baby, you know, ALS, and, you know, like I said, I want to do a thing, you know, talking about, like, exercise. I mean, I, I'm going to keep going, you know, this isn't, like, a one-and-done conversation about this topic, so, but, like I said, I wanted to kind of lay out some other things and kind of, you know, focus these episodes on, like, splitting up into, you know, some of the things I've faced and, you know, with challenges over the years. Um, so, you know, that being said, let's kind of transition here, uh, you know, kind of to more of the whole realm of, you know, our baby Emery being, you know, being born premature at 26 weeks, um, unfortunately, you know, passing away after a year, so I'm sorry, excuse me, a week, um, so, and this is a very tough subject, I mean, I... You know, I certainly will have moments where I may choke up or I've certainly had moments, you know, I've been lots of moments where I've kind of just my emotions have just gotten me with this and everything else. And like I told you guys, I'm giving you kind of just the raw, true me on here. I'm not, you know, I'm trying not to filter anything. And, you know, I just want you guys to hear you know, my, what I've been through and just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hold anything back. So, uh, you know, that being said, I, I knew I always wanted to be a dad and, you know, that, uh, that much I knew, you know, I knew that way back when, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a parent, you know, I felt, like I said, I've, I have so many strengths and I just feel like, you know, I could be a great father and, you know, I was so excited to have that opportunity. So, you know, and I knew my my wife wanted to have kids as well. So, you know, certainly we didn't have any conflict or issues regarding, you know, one of us wanting kids and the other one not wanting kids and, you know, that whole thing. I mean, we both were definitely on the same page with, you know, wanting to, you know, extend the family and, you know, have children. So we had found out, you know, that, you know, 
that my wife was first pregnant. Oh, let's see. I believe it was it was around uh, December. It was December of two thousand twenty-two. Um, I think that's when we first kind of found out. So kind of going into the new year with uh, you know some excitement regarding that. Um, you know the the tough thing was at that point I was already you know starting to you know, really deal with some issues with my mobility and my ALS symptoms were starting to get a little bit more noticeable. I mean, I certainly could still walk around, but I started walking around with kind of like a like a, a limp, um, having, you know, more of a foot slap. It, I'll get into all the technical terms. I mean, but, but essentially it was just, you know, I was starting... And I and I was trying to push for getting the back surgery, still hoping that that was going to cure everything. So I was kind of in the midst of all that. But obviously, you know, finding out that news that my wife was getting, you know, was pregnant and, you know, was due, I believe, I think it was like late August, early September was the due date. But um, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, we kind of, we kind of did the traditional thing. We kind of got a little registry going. You know, we were, you know, having some, you know, baby showers coming up and scheduled all that. Starting to, you know, plan out the nursery and, you know, all the thing, traditional things people do, obviously. And we wanted to wait on the gender. We, you know, we decided, you know, there's not, I feel like in this, in this world, there's there is, you know, not that many true, true surprises. And I feel like one one is, you know, finding out the gender of your baby, you know, when, when they come out. So we decided to wait um, on, you know, and not find out until, you know, the moment that uh, she was born. Um, so... You know, that being said, you know, we kind of, you know, did, you know, did our skin, did the scans, you know, my, my wife's had, you know, had, has had some, you know, kind of a complicated, you know, or more significant past medical history with things like her kidneys and stuff like that. So they were already kind of keeping a special, a special watch on her, you know, really, doing their due diligence to keep, you know, keep tabs, had, you know, good communication between all the doctors and, you know, making sure everything was okay. And, you know, I felt like we were really, you know, she was well taken care of and well watched out for um, regarding all that. So, you know, development continued and, um, you know, the the baby was, I think, was projected um, was a little bit um, underdeveloped or a little smaller um, based on the percentile rankings. I believe we found that out like spring and, you know, we were just going to kind of keep tabs on that. Um, but anyway, you know, we, so we, uh, we had our, we had, my wife had her birthday in, uh, you know, May 25th, and then we had, 
an appointment, uh, a, a scan the next day, um, May, uh, May, May 26 of 2023, this past May. Um, so we went, we went in, they did the abdominal ultrasound and everything looked okay from that standpoint. Um, you know, she, my wife was having a little bit of um, bleeding and that was kind of what prompted us to go in early, early as well, or excuse me, to this appointment as well. And, um, they, they then did uh, in an internal um, ultrasound scan following that abdominal one just to kind of double check on things because, you know, she was having a little bit of bleeding. And um, at that point, you know, the individual doing the test was kind of, you know, I wasn't overly thrilled with how they, they kind of were like, Okay, I want you to get your stuff together. We're gonna go to the. You're gonna have to go to the emergency room, and then kind of walked out of the room for a minute. So like she didn't. She kind of said all that, and you know, left us in a panic, and then left the room for a minute. She did come back and explain, but I just, I think she could have approached her, just said that initially a lot better than she did, because you know that's obviously a very scary, startling statement. Anyway, um, what they found out was you know, that my, you know, my my wife's uh, her cervix had thinned out and short shortened significantly to the point that um, it would it could in theory induce labor, uh, pre you know preterm labor, and she was you know at that point she was right around her twenty six I think just about twenty six weeks or so. Um, obviously, you know, certainly too, way too early. And, uh, so we went, we went to the hospital, we went, we drove out to the hospital that she, uh, she wanted to deliver at, you know, at anyway, just, you know, just to go, even though it was a little bit more of a drive for us, we, we went to that one. Uh, you know, she got there and you, she was admitted. Initially we thought, you know, it might just be, oh, Oh, we just do a couple tests and check things out, and you know, won't have to stay overnight or anything. Just triage, you know, in the ER, and that's it. But they did actually start picking up a couple little contractions, um, so they did admit her. So and that was um, that was on May twenty sixth. So she was. Uh, in the hospital uh, overnight that night, you know, and they were, they had her on a bunch of monitors and, um, you know, she was continuing to have some contractions. Uh, the following day um, in the morning of May 27th, um, she, uh, the contractions started getting a little bit even more pronounced and um, she was, you know, as feeling a significant amount of movement. And, you know, the, the doctors, you know, gave her some things to kind of help calm the contractions down. Um, 
you know, and we, uh, you know, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. We thought, okay, you know, they, they gave her magnesium. They gave her stuff to help the baby's lungs develop quicker and faster if, you know, the baby were to come out just as the baby would have a better chance of survival, um, you know, just, but the goal was to keep the baby, you know, inside, you know, in the womb as as long as possible, obviously. Um, unfortunately, that <laughs> did not last. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, morning of uh, Saturday, May 27th of this past year, 2023, um, you know, the the morning there, you could literally see the body, the head and the arms kind of moving around her stomach. Um, and they gave her some progesterone and did a few things. And the contractions kind of calmed down for like the late morning, afternoon. And we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe, you know, things might be coming sooner than expected. But, you know, maybe we can hold out a few more weeks. You know, at that point, even, you know, just a couple more days or another week of development in, in the womb is is so significant and ideal because, you know, that, you know, it gives the baby a better chance of survival, you know, before they come out. Um anyway, I had you know, I we had the we had two dog you know, we had the two dogs and utilizing you know in-laws and friends to help with the dogs while I was staying with her at the hospital. Now, on that evening, on May 27th, around 7.30 in the evening, I, I did leave um, to go home. And she, at, at that point, she was doing okay. Um, she then called me at like 10 o'clock saying, you know, things were getting pretty intense with the contractions. She was having more bleeding and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, well, do I need to come back? And she was like, well, let's just see uh, what what happens. And then um, about another half hour, 45 minutes later, I get a call. Um, you know, then again, this is still May 27th. This is Saturday night. I get a call from her, you know, kind of crying in a, you know, hysterical saying you need to get here right now um unfortunately like i said the hospital we want you know we wanted to, get to have her to deliver at was probably a good 25 30 minute drive from our house um so it wasn't like super super close um i you know the nurse i talked to the nurse the nurse went on came on the line after that and was like we got out. We got to get this baby out, and you know, like immediately, like she's gonna have to get a C-section. So I'm obviously panicking, and I'm trying to, you know, gather up all my stuff and all that, and you know, I, and pretty much he, the nurse kind of alluded to, and she was like, by the time you get here, the surgery's gonna be over. Um, so and that that was in fact the case when I got there, um. She was already um in the recovery room. <laughs> they uh they pretty much did the whole C-section instantly and got the baby out and she you know pretty much went came right to recovery and the doctor came out and was talking to me and was like you know congratulations as a baby girl and <laughs> we were all just just shocked. I mean because we all like I said no you know we didn't. We didn't find out the gender, but I think everyone just thought boy. And there was a couple times 
you know, the some of the ultrasound texts we thought maybe it slipped up and kind of alluded that they were there was a boy and this and that, but it ended up being a baby girl. And uh, I remember telling my wife that, and she was you know still kind of coming out of um, her, you know, coming off the anesthesia and was just like looking at me like for real and. It's like, yeah, it's she, you know, it's it's a girl, not a boy. So we didn't have as many girl names picked out, and uh, we actually didn't even name her for like a day or day and a half. And this was this, and this all happened. Um, Emery was born that again that night, um, Saturday, uh, May twenty seventh. I think it was around eleven thirty in the evening. So pretty much we were up that entire night, you know, just kind of going through everything. And um, we, you know, she finally, we, uh, once Emery came out, they obviously brought her right to the NICU. We didn't even get to see her right away. Um, and then on our way up to the to um, my wife's hospital room, we they did have us stop by and see Emery uh, in her pod um, in the NICU. And that was just, I mean, crazy experience. Just seeing some, you know, an alive little human that's barely, was barely a pound, like a little over one pound, just, just hanging out and on a whole bunch of tubes and everything else. And I mean, I, it was just so much emotion that, you know, I, I was kind of just didn't even, know how to take it all in or, you know, cry or, you know, I was happy. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was just an amazing thing. But unfortunately, you know, obviously didn't want her to come out nearly so soon, but she did. Um, so, you know, over the next uh, few days, you know, my wife was recovering. She stayed in the hospital another couple of days. And um, we would go down and, you know, visit Emery. You know, we could go in any time, day or night, obviously. And um, we, uh, yeah, we, you know, we were spending a lot of time down there. And, you know, she was, Emery was really doing well the first, you know, first couple of days. You know, they, they, they said that uh, they got her off the ventilator. She was breathing more on her own. And, you know, things initially, the first couple of days from like, you know, that's Saturday night from like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, even Wednesday, like those first three days or so of that week, things were looking good and she was moving and, you know, vitals were good and everyone seemed, uh, you know, pretty encouraged by all of that. So... Um, however, you know, well, before, before I get to that, we both had the experience of getting a chance to, you know, hold her, I uh, remember it was, um, Wednesday and Thursday of that week, uh, obviously I let my wife hold her, hold her first, um, so she got to just have that skin to skin contact and, you know, you have to be careful because she's obviously had a whole bunch of tubes and wires and bells and whistles and all that. And But, I mean, just having that opportunity was just, 
I mean, yeah, there's no words for that. So um, I was just, you know, so, uh, so just thrilled that, you know, my wife, you know, she was able to hold Emery. And then Thursday, the next day, I, w I got a chance to hold her. And it just something I'll never forget. And, you know, it's something that's just always ingrained in your memory. Um, you know, having having that opportunity to hold hold your baby, and obviously people listening to this that are parents, I mean, clearly you know what I'm talking about. So, um, little side note, um, unfortunately, I, uh, you know, amongst dealing with all of this crap from you know my issues with the ALS and stuff. You know, I I had had the back lumbar fusion back in early March, and you know, I I knew something else was wrong. I, honestly, I knew something else was wrong even before I got to surgery, and I think I was just kind of lying to myself, hoping I'd still fix it. But anyway, I I saw a neurologist in like May, and um, you know, they were pretty concerned with what they saw and you know, I got a bunch of images ordered ordered to kind of rule out some other things or you know, and hoping to roll in rather, I should say. Um But yeah, I had a cervical a cervical MRI, so you know, MRI of my neck and um had an an MRI of my brain as well. Um, the the neck once was looking at, you know, to see if I had any specific significant compression on my spinal cord and my neck area because that can certainly cause um, symptoms that I was having, uh, more neurologic-like symptoms. Um, and then the brain MRI was... You know, you're looking at a couple things, things like, you know, tumors, you know, anything like that. And another big one they can use to rule, rule out is uh, a thing called MS or multiple, multiple sclerosis. Um, typically, and I'm going to get into all this more when I start talking about ALS. But, um, you know, you can kind of see white plaques or buildups in the brain and stuff when you do have MS and that kind of can tell you that that's what you're dealing with. Um, unfortunately, I had neither of those. Both of those were negative. My brain on the imaging looked okay. In my neck, I, I had a very minor one, but nothing significant, nothing that would be causing my level of, you know, issues. And by, you know, by that time, my walking was, I mean, I was certain I wasn't using anything to help me walk, but my walking was, did not look good. Um, it was pretty noticeably impaired at that point and you know I just starting you know just awkwardly having a hard time picking my um both my feet up and my right one especially and stuff like that so um I had actually found I had an appointment that Thursday the day I got to hold Emery later in the day I had an appointment in the morning of that Thursday with my neurologist to go over the results. And I had already looked them up online because, they, you know, I read the impressions prior to the appointment and I knew 
that both the the neck MRI and the and the brain MRI were were negative. Didn't show that I had MS. Didn't show that I had a compression on my spinal cord. And um, you know, I had a bunch of other blood tests and things ruled out. And unfortunately, that kind of left. You know, ALS becomes kind of that diagnosis of exclusion. Like if you rule out everything else, um, and she had all, you know, and also I had an EMG done. I'll get into that more next time. But pretty much, it came back to you know, I, I, you know, and and by then I already kind of was feared that that's in, and kind of thought that's what it was. But the the imaging confirmed all that um, because I didn't have any of the because you really can't see uh, anything on imaging that confirms ALS unless you look at specific things on like the spinal cord and can see degeneration occurring, but they didn't do those images. So pretty much that was kind of left, I was kind of left with, though getting that news officially um, that same week with, um, with Emery being born. So, but that being said, I, I, I put that I put that on the back burner for the moment and you know I was able to to hold Emery later that Thursday and just to have that experience was just like I said regardless of the other all the other shit I was going through I I um you know was just wanted to be in that moment with her um unfortunately that following day that Friday we got a call from Got a call from uh, one of the the NICU doctors saying, you know, the things were kind of, things were not looking quite as good for Emery. Um, They thought maybe she, you know, was not breathing quite as well. um, Started having um, potential issues of concern of an infection. Um, She was taking in. Uh, my wife's milk uh, initially, and they were increasing it, and it was going well. But then suddenly, um, they uh, she wasn't doing that as well. And um, obviously, my wife was discharged home, and we were at our house by then. And you know, we were going in every day, and you know, we rushed over there. And you know, at that point, it was like, okay, well, you know, it's a little concerning, but we're you know, hopefully things are gonna she's gonna pull pull back pull back together and, you know, we'll be okay. And we hung out most of the day that Friday. And unfortunately, things kind of didn't really seem like... There was was points where it seemed like, oh, maybe she was doing a little better and then she wasn't. And, you know, a lot of that going on throughout the day and a lot of us just just sitting there stressed and concerned. And, um, you know, we... We stayed a pretty late Friday, and then we went we went back home. And um, Saturday, you know, we got a call from the doctor at like four a.m. I mean, we we neither of us could sleep because we're just we're just like waiting for phone calls to give us uh, give us updates. And you know, he was like, you know, things you know are are continuing to get worse. And you know, her her hands and her feet were getting kind of cyanotic or blue, meaning that she wasn't getting this oxygen perfusion as well. And, um, you know, that was obviously very concerning. And we, uh, you know, we went back, we drove back immediately Saturday morning. And, um, 
you know, we we had a lot of frank conversations with the doctors, you know, saying, you know, we could, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and hopefully things are going to pull around for her and keep it in close of eye on her vitals. And her, um, unfortunately, her oxygen saturation levels, you know, supposed to be close to 100%. And, um, you know, they started kind of dropping a little bit. They're kind of, even with having, they put her back on the ventilator. And even with that, she was kind of starting to drop into like the uh, 80s, 80%, which, you know, is, isn't great, especially having, you know, ventilation on and she was still that low. Um, so, you know, as the morning went on that Saturday, just again, it did seem like the day went on forever. Like I've just... You know, it's all just kind of a blur and just, it was just the day, just that day just seemed to go on forever. But, um, you know, my, uh, our in-laws, my, my wife's mother and father and my sister-in-law, um, you know, my, my wife's sister, um, they all came in. They were, normally you're only allowed to have two people in the room in the NICU, but, they let them come in as well, which is also kind of concerning. Like, this this may not be a good situation. Like, they may think something's really not going to be. It's not good. Um, and in fact, they were right. I think they probably knew for a while that she was not going to make it. And you know, they don't want to just straight up tell you that. I mean, they got you know try to try to um you know keep providing hope and seeing what they can do. Um, and again, I'm looking at the time here. Uh, yeah, this episode is just going to be a little bit longer. So <laughs> I just wanted to kind of get all this across. But um, anyway, I mean, this was, it got to the point where it was like early afternoon. And, you know, we were, they kind of opened up the pot a little bit so we could like talk to her and like, you know, try to, you know, just, touch her and stuff like that and um you know her her oxygen kept kind of slowly dropping and declining and um her heart her heart rate was starting to normally be an infant heart rates you know usually much high in the like 140 160 140 ish range and hers was starting to drop still you know a little bit um and then I remember a specific point in the early early afternoon that um it was suddenly her heart rate just like dropped drastically. It was it was pretty quick, um, like very quick. And that that kind of set off a bunch of alarms and you know, suddenly uh people, you know, nurse the nurse that the nurse we had that they were just fantastic. I mean, she was so sweet and everything and you know, we uh you know, we we kind of were like, oh, this 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 may this may end up being a situation where she. I mean, really realizing that this is probably likely a life threatening, life ending situation potentially. And um, you know, they they came rushing in. Uh, they they gave her gave her some epinephrine um, because her heart rate just kind of dropped 
pretty, like I said, it was like a while at this one point, it just kind of just dropped to like 70 or 80 or something for, you know, baby you know, of her size. That's, that's like dangerously low. And, um, you know, they, they, they gave her some epinephrine to get her heart, heart going again and get back up. And, you know, you know, they, they started doing CPR too. And, you know, seeing that done, just that whole, all that just, I mean, is burned into my memory forever. And I mean, I really, I try, can't think about it too long because I just, just will just break down. Um, even just talking about it now, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really just don't have words for something like that. So, you know, they did that epinephrine. They were doing CPR. And again, me and my wife were there and her parents and her sister were there. And, um, you know, I, they thought, you know, the epinephrine, you know, their, their job is to continue to go and to continue to, you know, keep going until we, you know, if we, we make a decision as to discontinue the everything then um that's up that's something they they would obviously keep working on trying to keep her alive until we had to make that decision um so they did that been ever the first time and her heart heart rate got a little bit better for a minute or two and then it dropped down again and um they did were continue with CPR and like I said, her heart rate was just her heart was just given out on her completely, um, and I forget if they did another round of epi or not. Um, I don't. I honestly can't even remember because I was just kind of, I you know trying to, you know, keep my I couldn't really keep myself together much and just the whole situation just a living hell and um, I had to kind of at one point kind of come up to my wife and say, you know, like, as I could barely talk, just, you know, we, uh, we got to make a decision here. So we, uh, decided just to kind of, decided to just let her go and, Sorry, sorry guys, just stuff to kind of talk about this since it just brings it all back. But like I said, I wanted to give you guys the true raw version of everything. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, you know, and this is just a very emotional thing. But so, you know, we, uh, we, uh, you know, she, we they stopped doing it. They stopped the life sustaining measures. They stopped the uh, giving her epinephrine for her heart. They stopped the CPR and gave us uh, just. We ended up being in there with her for a couple hours, just holding her and everything. And you know they were they were. I mean, the I I again I can't even talk about this at great detail, but so it's just 
I, I've like it's just too hard for me to, but um, you know, they're like even the nurses, they're like have photographer and I just was like at first I was like, This is so morbid, like why the why the hell would you be taking pictures of this? And but then my wife's like, No, I you know, I want pictures and and just, you know we ended up taking a bunch of pictures like on our cell phones and I'll be honest, I since that all happened, I can't, I can't even look at them. I mean, I mean, part of me obviously wants to, and I want to remember, you know, how she looked, but just seeing her, her pictures lifeless, it's just, yeah, I, it's just too hard for me to, to handle right now. I mean, I, I have them all saved in my phone. It's just a matter of, you know, I don't, it's just, too much for me to look at them still, um, but they're there. Um, so we all got some time to hold her. You know, my me, my wife, my sister-in-law, my um, mother and father-in-law, and you know, we spent a couple good hours in there, and that was it. So, you know, I. I'm actually I'm coming up on an hour here soon. It looks like it's going to cut me off at 60 minutes. I have about six and a half minutes left. So I'm, I'll probably carry this conversation over a little bit more in the next episode again, like I did with the autism one. But, um, you know, just that was, I mean, that... Leaving, leaving from the hospital. I mean, I, I don't even. It's like I've kind of repressed, repressed a lot of those memories, and it's you know I don't even hardly remember doing half of it because I was just so. Just, I don't know. Just I, I had no feeling. I just was just felt dead inside. So. Um, so yeah, I mean. I know, you know, maybe some people listening on here have, I mean, if they got, if they've gone through a situation similar to that, I mean, I, I've been there. So feel free to reach out or even just people having, you know, stillborns or death, you know, babies, you know, dying in the wombs or, you know, it premature. I mean, what whatever the situation or baby just, being born full term and still not making it. I mean, there's lots of situations that, uh, you know, you see all, like I was saying, you see all the people taking pictures and of everything working out well, and that's that's awesome. But I mean, for God's God's sake, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that have had situations like this or similar to this or... Regardless of what, regardless of what it is, losing losing a child, your child like that's just. I mean, there are no words for it. I mean. That rips just rips your heart and your stomach out, and. You know you you just you learn to just live with it and keep going, but you never you never get over, you never get over stuff like that, and like I said. I I kind of repress some things, but like the imaging of like them doing CPR on like a little one pound premature infant and 
I mean, just that whole scene was just, I'll never, I'll never forget that. I mean, that's, you know, that's burned into my memory forever, so. But, yeah, that was, you know, that was just one of the worst, I mean, you know, that's probably about the worst experience I've ever had to go through in my life, um. One, I should say, I should say one specific incident experience because of what I'm going through every day now with this disease is is hell as in itself. But that's discussion for next time. But um, I want to, you know, like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up with a few more points with this. Or say a few more points next time. Start of next podcast because. <laughs> I know I promise you guys I keep this these things shorter and here I am coming up on an hour, but you know, I'm realizing that, you know, these are you know, I'm saying more and you know, I want to get my points across and I'm trying to be as succinct and not repetitive as possible and but you know, time does fly on here, so um I'm gonna pick up with a few more things with this next time before transitioning kind of into the whole I'm going to start with kind of, you know, talking about the ALS timeline and like from start of first symptoms to, um, you know, kind of where I'm at now. So I do want to end this on a good note, however. Um, I do want to end it, you know, like I said, as, as, as sad and as rough as this podcast was, um, I do have some actually uh, really good news, obviously amazing news and was the one bright spot going into this new year of 2024. Uh, my wife and I found out um, in November of 2023 or the end of November and December, we found out that uh, she is pregnant again. So um, we are, we are beyond thrilled. And, you know, obviously we're, uh, she's she's due uh, July eighteenth of this year, two thousand twenty-four, and um, we are so grateful and so excited for that. I mean, that being said, we're going to taking it one day at a time, considering what we've been through. Um, and I'm, you know, again, I don't want to say too much personal about my wife, you know, without p- permission, but. Uh, she's actually going to be getting a surgery to help with um, keeping her cervix um, from shrinking or thinning prematurely. Um, they're going to go in and just do a little, they kind of do a little stitch up thing. And that's going to help, hopefully help minimize the chance of, you know, the preterm labor on um, the situation that we faced last time. And, um... Yeah, so she's been getting being gonna be getting that here, uh, in the next week, couple weeks. So, well, we'll keep you updated on all of that. Um, but we are certainly thankful and just so happy for that that news, and you know, hoping that things work out better this time. Obviously, all right, guys. Um, as always, thank you for listening and tuning in. Um. I'll put out another episode within the week or so. And uh, 
thank you all for listening and for your time and wish you guys all the best and enjoy the rest of your uh enjoy the rest of your day. All right guys, till next time. Take care. Bye-bye.